Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Today, we are thrilled to officially introduce Carlos Beltran as the new manager of the New York Mets. Over the course of his 20-year career, Carlos has traveled where our players hope to travel over the course of their careers. He has an appetite to collaborate, and he is a mentor from the 25th man on the roster to the first. Carlos is a winner, and together, with your fan support, we will be a winner. I'm very blessed to be standing up here as the new manager of the New York Mets. The passion that I have to pass forward, the things that I learned in the game of baseball, was my call to pursue this opportunity. I want to become a manager that motivates my players to play at a higher level, to show up every single day with the mentality of winning ball games. And as a player, I was able to have those tough conversations with teammates to push them to continue to fight to the Mets. Thank you for believing in me. I just can't wait to rewrite our story, being the manager of the New York Mets. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Monday, November the 4th, 2019. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And the preferred method to listen to this podcast is on Apple Podcast. If you can leave me a review, I'd greatly appreciate it. Four out of five so far. Actually, 4.2 out of five. Uh, great rating that you guys have given me so far so thank you very much and if you could give me 
more positive reviews. It certainly helps the growth of the program. Welcome in. Uh, big day at City Field. A big podcast. Been really spending the last few uh, days trying to collect as much information and get my thoughts together about this uh, new hire, the 22nd manager in Mets history, Carlos Beltran. I think uh, just six weeks ago, even less, even when the process started, uh, I don't think any of us, certainly I did not expect Beltron outside of getting an interview uh, for his candidacy to go very far. So uh, definitely a surprise, uh, familiar face, and it seems like yesterday that he signed the $119 million deal, which was a game changer for the Mets as they tried to speed into contention as Omar Manaya had taken over just uh, a few months uh, prior. And it seems uh, equally as recent times, it seems like yesterday, that he was traded for Zach Wheeler. So it uh, just goes to show you that time goes by fast. Uh, we're all getting older, and uh, you got to appreciate the moment because, wow, I mean, all those moments seem like yesterday, and, and they're not. One is 15 years old, and another one is uh, almost nine years old. So it's amazing how uh, how things go. Uh, joining me in just a little bit, I had a chance over the weekend to catch up with uh, Bob Clappish. Bob uh, wrote a book about the Yankees inside the Empire and uh, had some exposure to Carlos Beltran. Had exposure to what Aaron Boone went through his first year on the Yankees job. So I think he's a great guy to talk to. Obviously, has covered both the Mets and the Yankees for a long time, going back to the 80s. And he's doing some work for the Bleacher Report and the New York Times. So Bob and I spoke uh, over the weekend, and you'll hear that conversation in just a little bit. Uh, good conversation. I think he has some good insight into not only what Carlos Beltran will experience as a first-time manager, but what it uh, will be like being a first-time manager with the New York Mets. So uh, I was asked on Friday to talk about you know my thoughts about Beltran when it happened when when and and I had information that it was going to be Tim Bogar and and even Andy uh, Martino who was on this uh, Tim Bogar and uh, Eduardo Perez seemed to be the guys that were rising to the top and there was some information I had that Omar Manaya was a Perez guy Brody was leaning more towards Bogar obviously Girardi at that point had been out and you weren't hearing a lot about Beltran at all. And you just figured the guy just, he's a former player. He's only been out of the game a couple of years. Yeah, he was a special assistant to Brian Cashman with the Yankees. So whatever, you know, you're still kind of learning right now. But obviously he uh, he impressed the Mets enough to get the job. Now, you all know, and I've said this, and if you had listened to me on a Saturday night, if you had a chance to download the, the replay or listen live, I was on 77 uh, WABC with those uh with Jonathan and, and Jeff and uh the talking sports show that, that that happens on Saturday nights and I had said that like I'm telling you now I would have done the process just like the Phillies did when I went just for the experienced managers would have brought in those three candidates maybe I would have expanded it to Mike Socha would have interviewed all four and would have said hey I got this win now roster I've had all this nonsense and this garbage and dysfunction. The media is circling the wagon. I need a strong leader. I need a strong leader for these young players. I need a strong leader for these veterans. I need someone that can manage the heat that comes with being the manager of the New York Mets. We haven't really been successful for a long time hiring managers, probably for over 30 years. I need you. 
And to me, Girardi was the guy because he had the New York experience. It would have been nice sticking it to the Yankees. And what a way to uh, spark up that rivalry again, which has really been kind of lackluster for a long time. But to bring a former Yankee skipper into the mix, that's how I would have done it. Uh, I'm looking at it as uh, as someone who's been a Mets fan for a long time. I'm looking at it from the standpoint of this podcast as someone who tries to put one foot into the fan column and one foot into the media column. I'm not an executive. I'm not someone who's spending any time inside uh, a a front office. Uh, I could play front office, but I'm not in a front office. I could use my intelligence and my experience in, in business and life to connect with what these guys are doing, but I'm not on the inside. And throughout this process, neither was there any member of the media really on the inside. There was a lot of, of fringy information coming out. So that's how I would have went about it. I, I thought it was too important right now to go with uh, an inexperienced name. And I said that on a podcast a couple of weeks back at the beginning of this whole thing after Mickey Calloway was fired. I said, if you're going to go with a non-experienced name, you should have kept Calloway. Now, as time went on, I started to have conversations with people, and it turned out and you heard some of that today uh, with Brody Van Wagen and talking about the exhale, inhale, going into the manager's office and not, you know, inhaling, worried about what the conversation is going to go like. Uh, that's that's how it was with Mickey Calloway. Apparently their relationship was much worse than even some of the reports, the chair throwing and all the stuff that came out uh, indicated. So, uh, you know, that's something that didn't totally surprise me, but I didn't think it was that bad. Um and, and and to me, that tells you that probably knowing that now, it was it was a good thing that these two parted ways because the team didn't need that kind of friction between front office and, and the manager's office. If you were going to hire anybody that did not have the experience of uh, Joe Girardi or Buck Showalter or anybody uh, of that level... From a marketing standpoint, from a standpoint of selling it to the fans and maybe giving yourself a little rope to hang yourself, for lack of a better word, Beltron is the only name that you can put up there. You can't put up Derek Shelton. You can't put up Pat Murphy. Even though I thought Pat Murphy, uh, listening to some of the uh, people in baseball that know him, had some characteristics, you know, hard-ass guy, uh, a guy that really could be a command and control, a disciplinarian, but, but has evolved and maybe... Uh, not an analytics guy, but maybe somebody that you know could at least stomach the idea of the analytics. Uh, it was an intriguing candidate. Uh, I think Eduardo Perez, because of his uh, similar career arc to Aaron Boone, maybe the whole ESPN boot, the fact that he seems to be a bit of a, I don't want to say politician, but a guy that has made a lot of friends throughout baseball, he was intriguing. Tim Bogar, a guy that has been highly recommended in the past. Brief stint managing the Rangers, uh, you know, in the Red Sox organization. So, guy that played here a long time ago, but he's a fringy player. He was a backup. And and there are Mets fans who probably don't even remember Tim Bolgar, even though he uh, he recently played uh, about 20, you know, 30 years ago, not too long ago. Carlos Beltran is arguably the best offensive-defensive combination player, all-around player in Mets history. His 2006, uh, depending on what metric you look at, could arguably be talked about as the best offensive season in Mets history. From a standpoint of his numbers, he's, uh, I don't want to say borderline Hall of Famer, he's not a shoe-in, but uh, he's somebody that will get serious consideration and probably will make the Hall of Fame. 
He's made over $200 million in his career, so you know he doesn't need the money. He actively sought this job through his agent. So he went out of his way. I don't know if the Mets would have called him in uh, if he didn't go and actively seek out this job. So it tells you a lot about how much he wanted this entire situation that's now in front of him. You really have to read The MVP Machine by Ben Lindbergh and Travis Sawchick. In there, it goes into a lot of different things about what teams are looking for and the evolution of how players are using data. Uh, Teams are not just using data to pick players, but how they're using data to make players better. But most importantly, there's a segment in a chapter that talks about the front office, and they use the Houston Astros as the example. And the word that is used in the book is a growth mindset, how they want that in their coaches. And you heard Brody Van Wagenen bring that up with Carlos Beltran. Basically, after they decided they didn't want to bring an experienced guy in and have a separation of church and state, where the the manager has the manager's office, Brody gets the players, and you know you hope that there's that there's some intersection there. They wanted to bring someone in who could have that growth mindset, that could work with them and collaborate them. And the front office, basically, uh, the way I see it, is going to be putting a game plan together. They're going to be getting input from Carlos, but especially early on, I think the front office is going to be managing the bullpen in a lot of ways with a game plan and putting the lineup out there. And I think they're going to ask Carlos to do what he does best, which is communicate with the players, uh, be the liaison with the media that is a little bit more New York sophisticated than what Mickey Calloway was. Uh, Coach and and help teach and help uh, improve players on the roster that need it. Joel Sherman outlined the interview process uh, in the New York Post yesterday. And he talked about how the Mets, through his report, had three stages in the interview. The first stage was a broader interview that included... Uh, guys like Adam Gutridge, their analytics guy, and, and other members of the front office. And they talked about the team and the roster and in-game management. And and then in the second and third interview, the second interview, which was with Van Wagenen and Jeff Wilpon, and then the third interview with Fred Wilpon, at each of those levels, it was more about handling the media and understanding what they were getting into or, or what Carlos was getting into with accepting this position. And it sounds like Carlos struggled with the team building and the roster and the in-game stuff a little bit, but he really excelled in the back half when it came to handling the media, communication, and his willingness to to really learn. And and you heard what Brody Van Wagenen said. He he knows what he doesn't know. And and in any business, all you could ask is for somebody to be confident, be knowledgeable, but also be open enough to learn and improve. And I think that's who you have right now. I think on a positive note, you have a guy that has seen every arc, and I talked about this on Saturday night on WABC, has been every arc as a player. So he's been Edmed Rosario, a young player struggling, trying to take his talents and maximize them. He's been Pete Alonzo. I know Pete's a young player, but he's a star very quickly into his career. How does he handle that? How does he... um, repeat that performance and sustain and improve on that performance. He's been the best player in the game. You know, somebody like a Robinson Cano, but also like Cano, 
He's a guy that's had to reinvent himself after a certain age. Maybe he's more like Cespedes in that point. Cespedes would have, and I know there was some talk about how we don't know what's going to happen with Cespedes in 2020. That's not a surprise. But he had a major knee surgery, microfracture surgery. Uh, uh, You know, that is uh, usually a death knell. And he came back. And not only did he come back, and, and maybe he wasn't the same player, he wasn't the same two-way player, but offensively, he didn't drop off very much, if at all, after he came back from that severe injury. So every arc of a player's career, including on the decline, Carlos Beltran is experienced. So there's not a guy on that roster. And he even brought up on WFAN about Edwin Diaz, the transition from small market to big market. He did that. Kansas City, Houston, New York. He struggled in 2005 and, and even that first couple of weeks of 2006. So you can't throw a scenario at Beltran that he himself has not experienced as a ball player. And I think that's a tremendously valuable resource because there are many managers who never had to go through any of that. There were guys who never struggled in their careers or there were guys like Mickey Calloway who never really made it. They made it as a 4A guy. So they can understand some of the other scenarios that are out there if you read astro ball if you read any even just the excerpts beltron is a guy that has gone out of his way whether it was his final years with the astros where he was a pseudo coach or even as a uh, associate in player development with the yankees he wants to give back he wants to teach he wants to bridge the gap between people he doesn't care if you're latino you're white you're african-american uh, he wants the team to be one, to be whole. He wants to share information. He wants to communicate. Again, collaborate. These are all positive things. So there's a lot to like about the hire. But like any hire of a first-time manager, you don't know. The negative? Listen, I just told you, that first interview, it sounds like when they talked about how to build a team and how in-game management, he didn't really knock it out of the park. And it was a bigger group. So maybe that had something to do with it, and it was his first interview, so maybe he was a little nervous. But even if you hear him talk to Steve Gelbs or even on WFAN, he just got this job 72 hours or so ago. I don't think he's really dived into the roster. Now, yes, he went through an extensive, in-depth interview process. I'm sure he he knows the roster, but is he really ready for you know the mindset he has to take as the manager? And the things that he's good at, and this is really what's going to be the challenge and what the second and third interviews that the Mets conducted were about. And if the reports are true, he did well. What he's good at, which is the one-to-one instruction and video and, and, and really communicating with players, his time is going to be really uh, under the crunch as a manager because he's going to have the pre and the post game. He's going to have the meetings with the front office. Uh, He's going to have to interact with the media in the dugout uh, as they try to get some one-on-ones. He's going to have his weekly on WFAN. And there's going to be times where in the midst of a West Coast trip and they've lost six of eight and uh, maybe he made a bad bullpen decision. And he's got to live with that. He's got to hear about it. And he's got to hear about it 62 times before he gets to the ballpark. Uh, That's going to take its toll. And it will be interesting. Can he be as positive and as collaborative and as open during those times. Is he going to be able to still uh, feel as good about giving his time to maybe Ahmed Rosario about something during those times? That's what he's hired for. That's his strength. 
It's not going to be easy. Mickey Calloway talked about the time management crunch that he experienced his first year. So, you know, that's where this is becomes a big question mark. But if you're complaining about an inexperienced hire, know this. This is where the game is going. Right, wrong, or indifferent. And I really encourage you, read the MVP machine, the book. Read Astro Ball. See what the Astros have done. Baseball, any sport, is a copycat thing. They're going to start to go this route. With all the information, these front offices feel that if I don't have this setup, if I'm not using this information and I'm not implementing these processes the same way as the other guy, I'm behind. And the model which says, manager, you manage the bullpen, the lineup, the clubhouse, I'll get you the players, and, and we'll stay out of each other's way, that ain't happening anymore. They intersect. It's a management team. Yes, the manager's in the dugout, and he's the player, and he's the conduit to maybe explaining all of this to the guys that are like him. And they'll have other guys like Luis Rojas if he comes back, a quality control coach, or Jeremy Accardo, who is the director of pitching, and he's trying to... And you'll again, you read these books, you hear about these guys that are former players, like a Brian Bannister, that are intelligent, have a passion for this stuff, and... You know, I don't want to say they're not, you know, I hate to use the word stupid jocks because I have I know a lot of ball players and, and everybody has some savvy in their own way. But not everybody could understand uh, spin rate or how to convert data and heat maps and make these things work for them. Because when you've done things with muscle memory and repetition for so long, and even though you may not be maximizing your talent, you've hit a certain level of success, it's hard for you to take stuff that's intangible and make it tangible, and that's what these guys are doing. So, you know, with Beltran, with all this on his plate, he's not just going to be a coach. He's not the veteran in the dugout that's going to be sitting around and and being able to give a tip to uh, like he did to Alex Bregman or Jose Altuve or George Springer. He's not going to be able to do that as the manager. He It's part of his job, but he's got other responsibilities. He's got other stakeholders. And like I said, you have to manage your bosses. You have to manage the media. You got to manage the bullpen. You got to manage the bullpen. Uh, it, it is it, it is imperative for them to do that, and you got to keep a clean clubhouse while you're doing all this. And you do the other three right, and you screw the bullpen up. Guess what? That's the thing that's going to make you have a worse relationship with the media and maybe anger your bosses if you don't follow the game plan. And really, it's going to be on, especially early on, on this front office, the game plan for Carlos. I don't think, based on what I've read, and what and again, it's a small sample of what you heard, that he could go into the dugout tomorrow and, and outmanage a Joe Girardi or outmanage a Dave Martinez. Not that Dave Martinez is a great manager or Brian Snitker or Bruce, you know, Bruce Bochy is retired, but you get where I'm going. AJ Hinch. I don't think he can. Now, you're gonna talk about, and I know what you're thinking for those who've been listening to the show for a long time. Terry Collins is a bench coach. He's going to need strong coaches. Sounds like they want to bring Chili Davis back. Uh, Luis Rojas, a uh, guy, an organizational guy, probably a guy you want to keep around. Need a strong pitching coach. Be very curious how they go with uh, with that. Very curious. Again, it's going to be somebody. It's probably not going to be. you. Feel, I mean, Phil Regan, I think, did a nice job subbing in, but he's 80-something years old. Does he want to do the grind? Does he have... The growth mindset, even though it sounds like he does, but does he have the potential to bring as much to the table as some of these younger 
Don't be surprised you see a college coach. That's a new thing because these college coaches are are used to having a growth mindset in teaching because that's what they have to do at that level. Terry Collins, bringing in a bench coach, someone who's managed, who has experience that could help him, kind of be a, a mentor or guide him or or even be a buffer to help him. You know, you need sometimes good cop, bad cop. And, and, uh, and sometimes a bench coach could be good because they could give you the temperature of the team. That sometimes as uh, the big chair, when you're in the big chair, sometimes you lose touch with that. Or you could, could lie to yourself sometimes too. That happens. I have no problems with Terry Collins as the bench coach. Now, I do think it's weird to bring back a former manager, a guy that's only been away from the big chair two years this close. Because there's guys that know him, Syndergaard, Lugo, uh, you know, uh, Cespedes if he comes back. It's not as many, it's Conforto. There's not as many guys. I mean, there's not many left from the 2015 roster, but there's still guys there. And and my issue with Terry is I never thought he was more than a stopgap caretaker manager. And I wanted a young manager that could grow with the team while they were rebuilding. And I thought it should have been Wally Backman. And when it wasn't Wally Backman, I was angry that they didn't go with a similar type of manager that could grow with the team a long-term replacement. In a lot of ways, this is what I think they want Beltron to be. It's a win-now situation, but is he he's young enough as a manager where, you know, maybe he could be their Davy Johnson or their Ron Gardenhire and be here a decade if he if he really embraces the job, does well. And again, $220 million he's made in his career. He's got to want to do this because I'm going to tell you, come May 1st, I'd be... There's going to be days when he's like, why am I not sitting home spending my money, spending time with my family and my kids, and, I, and I'm back in this sauce. It's not going to take very long. So if Terry Collins makes him feel better, and, and the front office and, and Van Wagenen and crew are on board with it, and Terry has, at his age, enough of a growth mindset to provide the value, I have no problem with it. I think that's a good role for Terry. Farm director is a good role for Terry. Caretaker for a losing team to clean things up, no problem. Managing a team that at some point you wanted it to be competitive and win, Terry Collins not your manager. Can't manage a bullpen, and I think he delegates a lot of his responsibilities to veteran ball players. Now Beltran's required, you know, in his role as a, as a bench coach, uh, he doesn't really have to be the bad guy. He he could he could be a buffer, and and I think that's a different role. He can't delegate that, and, and I think if he advises Beltran that way, that's a little bit dangerous. But he has enough respect in the game, and he knows this market and the media and what he went through. So he could give him some very valuable advice. A lot different than a Jim Riggleman type who's coming from a different market and, and has no idea. And I, and I think that's the key thing here. And I know I'm going on a little longer this monologue, and I do want to get to, to Bob Clappish, but it's important. This is a really hard job. And Steve Phillips has said this in the past on MLB Network Radio. You're in the shadow of the Yankees. You're expected to spend like the Yankees, but you can't. We could argue that till the cows come home. You have the same real estate. You're competing not only against the National League, but you're competing against the Yankees because when you go to the World Series and they're standing there, you have to share the spotlight. If they win, your failures are magnified. So it's really tough. And the fans are passionate. They're hungry. And I wonder, are the fans at 1993 New York Rangers level hunger or frustration? Remember how it was before Messi hoisted the cup? 
The Rangers had come close since, it was 1979. They had some good teams, but they fizzled in the playoffs, and then they missed the playoffs. They made a big move with Messier. And at that point, it got ugly, and the fans were really angry. And, and that's when, look at what the Rangers did. They brought in Mike Keenan, a short-term replacement. The Mets have done the opposite. So it's interesting. Are they at that same point? But the organization responded differently. Neil Smith responded differently than how Brody Van Wagenen has responded. So something to think about. And one last thing, and this is really important. If you're going to judge Beltron in this move on a curveball that he didn't swing at over a tw- decade ago, or how you felt that he didn't hustle or he didn't care, I don't know what that looks like. This is a guy that was in the big leagues for 20 years, has Hall of Fame credentials, uh, is a top three, if you depend on how you'll break it down, offensive player. Offense, you know, if you use wins above replacement, there's only two players in the in 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 Mets history that are better. It's Beltron and, uh, excuse me, it's it's Wright and Strawberry, and not much by Strawberry. And if he didn't get hurt, he probably would have surpassed Strawberry. And if he stuck around, uh, you know, if the Mets were in a different place post-Madoff, he might have been right up there with Wright. He's got better offensive numbers, arguably, than Hall of Famers like Dave Winfield and Tony Gwynn. This is not a chump. You don't make your career look like that by not caring, not working, and not caring about winning in team play. He can evolve and grow up. The funniest part about all this is that the media has been making this about this dispute that he had with ownership, which I'm sure he wishes, if you really talk to him off the record, he handled better, and certainly ownership could have handled better. And I love how they're trying to find the next dysfunction because of something that you know Joel Sherman bringing up today, about how Brody talked about, uh, you know, subliminally, you know, some of the the chaos that goes on, and made hints about how it's been dog years in New York. Whether you're the Mets, the Yankees, the Knicks, the Rangers, the Jets, the Giants, I don't care if you won 27 World Series like the Yankees, or you haven't won in over 30 years like the Mets. There's a lot of pressure here, and there's a lot that you have to digest. And it doesn't matter who you are, how successful you are. That's the case for every executive, every manager, every player in this town. So to make that a story and to hope for that so you could poke a Beltron because maybe you're mad about the fact that you didn't get a leak and Brody made this very difficult on your reporting abilities over the last 30 days, that's, in a nutshell, why this is going to be a tough job for Beltron. That, in a nutshell, is what he's up up against. It has nothing to do with Wainwright. It has nothing to do with the past. And if that's what you're holding a grudge on, and that's what you're going to judge this team on. It's as relevant as the toothpaste you threw out two weeks ago, which means not at all. Anyway, let's take a break. I'll get to Bob Clappish. Had a chance to catch up with Bob earlier this weekend on Sunday, so you'll hear that. And then to round out the show, get to the mailbag. I want to hear what you guys have to say. I'll make some comments. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. But there are five things that stood out about Carlos through the process. First, he's poised. As you've seen, Carlos can command a room when he walks in. He has presence. He has patience. Least of wit- and at very least, he's got confidence. Next, number two, Carlos is trustworthy. When we began this process, it was important for all of us in the ownership group and the baseball operations department to feel like we could exhale when we walked into the manager's office. 
We didn't want to inhale in anticipation of the conversations. Instead, we wanted to feel comfortable, we wanted to feel welcome, and we wanted to feel a partnership with the manager. We can trust Carlos, and that goes a long way. Third, Carlos has a growth mindset. That's a cliche and a very common sentence in the, uh, in the marketplace today, but it particularly applies to Carlos. Carlos is a learner. Carlos knows what he doesn't know, and he's willing to acknowledge it. Most importantly, Carlos has a curiosity to learn more and to grow. He's evolved. He used that word quite often during our, our process of the interviews. He's evolved as a player. He's evolved as a husband, a man, a parent. And we think he can apply all of that knowledge to us going forward. Number four, Carlos is committed to beating his opponent. Why do I say that and why do I make that a point? Everybody wants to win. There's no doubt about that. Most coaches show up every day with the belief that they can try to get the best out of their players. Carlos has those two attributes, but he also takes it a step further. Carlos wants to beat his opponent. He looks at the little things. He looks for tips. He looks for any weaknesses that he can exploit in his game planning. He did it as a player, and we know that that's going to be a, a key part of his success as a manager. And fifth, most importantly, Carlos has an unrivaled appreciation and understanding of players. So let's talk about that. Carlos's hiring is a signal and an affirmation that is clear and loud to this organization's core tenets of being a players first organization. We're players first here. Carlos Beltran will be a players manager. We're back and uh, joining us, you guys know him, uh, baseball writer for the New York Times, also uh, MLB national columnist over at Bleacher Report, longtime journalist, has covered the Mets, the Yankees, has a book out, Inside the Empire, where he went uh, deep into the, uh, the Yankees process there, and he's joining us as uh, the Mets have made some news over the weekend, and uh, Carlos Beltran is now their manager, so Bob, you've been around... The, the game a long time, both these teams a long time. Uh, I got to tell you, back in September when everyone thought Mickey Calloway was getting canned, I don't know if Carlos Beltran would have been in the top 10 on the list, much less be the guy that winds up getting the job. So interesting uh, turn of events this weekend. Uh, I would totally agree with you, Mike. Uh, I, I didn't even think that Beltran would be on the radar. And, and the way that this process evolved, it was clear to me. Well, two things became clear to me. Well, one, top of the list is that Callaway, of course, had to go. He was ill-equipped to be a manager of the Mets, inexperienced, and bad at just about every part of the job, except maybe maybe handling pitchers uh, as a former pitching coach. I think he did have a degree of expertise and will probably be a great pitching coach uh, with the Angels going forward. But otherwise, he had to go. The next step was finding his replacement, and I honestly thought that the Mets would go with the most logical route, which is to find somebody who had experience in New York, success in New York, had a body of work that suggested that they could handle whatever was in front of the Mets. And to me, the two most obvious candidates would have been Buck Showalter or Joe Girardi. You could have really flipped a coin, and both would have given you uh, a similar dividend. Both guys are smart. Uh, they get it. They know how to handle the New York media, have good relationships with the New York media, Buck more so than Girardi. And in, in Girardi's case, 
you know, after 10 straight years of winning with the Yankees and, and high motivation to really stick it to the Yankees and pay them back for dismissing him, I think he would have been a terrific choice. And after having met with Met Hierarchy and the Wilpons face-to-face, you know, if you would asked me to bet, I would have said that it was probably a 90% likelihood that they were going to hire Girardi. And the fact that they didn't and things didn't go well in that meeting and he ended up with the Phillies told me one thing, Mike, and that was that the Wilpons did not want the strong, experienced manager in that dugout. I mean, that tells you how they feel about the manager's position in general and how they feel in particular about one who may have pushed back on the the two-headed monster, which is Jeff and Brody. But, yeah, and that's true. And I've been reading your obviously your book. You also have MVP machine out, Astro Ball. Try to get a feel of this. And the Mets have had, as you know, a different hierarchy. You mentioned Jeff and Fred, but the rationale for not taking on, I guess, a tenured manager like the two names you mentioned, and going more with like a Dave Roberts or a Rocco Baldelli, Baldelli type, which is what Beltron is, is that. The front office wants to put the game planning together. They want the training and the data and all the information uh, to be synonymous top to bottom. And they feel, and I'm not saying both Buck and Joe would have fallen into this because I don't know. uh, They feel that an experienced manager owes coaches jobs, uh, has, uh, you know, set behaviors and that there'll be that friction. And in one way, if you believe what these books have written, and I know you went into the Yankee hierarchy a little bit and Aaron Boone's a similar hire. Uh, I guess it makes sense they went this route at this point. Oh, there's no question. I mean, this is where the trend is going. Uh, And, uh, you know, it was probably at this point an an anomaly that Girardi could even get hired in Philadelphia. Uh, That, you know, is probably probably now the exception to the rule. But I agree, the manager is now just a courier, a messenger for the the franchise's message from from the the, – probably from the decisions that are made largely by the analytics department. And you made a great point about loyalty to coaches and wanting to bring his own staff in. And suddenly you're sharing power with ownership. And clearly at this point in the game, in 2019, 2020, the entire hierarchy, power power structure, is weighed heavily in favor of the the general manager and ownership. Managers no longer have the influence that they once did. Their job is to convey the message, as I said, and to get the clubhouse pulling all in the same direction and to establish good relationships, good personal relationships with the players. Aaron Boone turned out to be a very, very pleasant surprise for the Yankees. And I think in that sense, I think Beltran will be great at this job. He's a very personable guy. He's articulate. He's thoughtful. Obviously, he has great relationships with the Spanish-speaking players, which is important for the Mets. And he has an excellent rapport with the New York media. So if that's what the, the job search consisted of, I think Beltran was a terrific choice. What he's missing are, to me, very important components. He has no experience, and we'll see who his bench coach is going to be. But I think, you know, once you get past the fact that Girardi and and Showalter would have been probably on paper better choices, I think Beltran was an excellent, excellent alternative. Bob Clappish, author of the book Inside the Empire, also over at the Bleach Report, New York Times. You guys know him, longtime journalist in this area. I'll give you first the positives and then the concerns I have with Beltron. From what you mentioned, uh, if you're going to go inexperienced, you could market Beltron. And I'm sure this played a little bit into this. Uh, better than Bogar, better than Derek Shelton, better than Pat Murphy, uh, you, you know, better than Eduardo Perez. So it gives them a little leeway here if things start off uh, bad because of who he is. You're handing 
the the guy the the game plan you know the pitching plan i mean it's basically going to be like a corporation now if that's the way it's run and you could tell me that because you saw how the yankees do things but from a positive and, and this was i think from astro ball it was brought up how he's been beltron at every stage of his career he probably could identify with the different type of players on this roster he was a young kid coming from a different country who didn't speak the language trying to fight his way in like an Ahmed rosario he was the best of the game uh, who got a big contract. He was the guy on the back end, like a Cespedes, um, who uh, you know needed to reinvent themselves. Uh, he's been that guy. So there's probably nobody on this 25-man roster that he can't identify with, which even with a Callaway or a Baldelli, uh, or an, even an Aaron Boone, they were not those kind of players. Beltron transcends different stages of a ball player's career. So from those two, those two standpoints, you got a lot of uh, cachet right there. That's a great point. You know, the arc of his career pretty much brings everybody into the fold. And I think that makes him so relatable. And I think he was able to probably to impress that upon the Wilpons that you need a manager now who connects with his players. Uh, and I just don't think Callaway ever did. He just didn't belong in this market. He was in over his head from the beginning. It's a completely different vibe that you get from Beltran, who exudes competence and knowledge and confidence. Uh, that he knows what he's doing, that he was that way as a player, too. I mean, I saw him at the end of his career with the Yankees, and I wouldn't put him at the Jeter level of captainship, leadership, but he's pretty close. He was almost revered in there. I would say maybe in the, in, in the same vein that C.C. Sabathia was. People just loved the guy. Players just were drawn to him for experience, for conversation, for whatever it was. Beltran was the guy. It wasn't just Spanish-speaking guys. It was the American players, too. So I think that will translate very well as manager. Now, the hard part comes after the first three-game losing streak because two things are going to happen. Jeff Wilpon is going to start demanding answers, which will evolve into, which will devolve into second-guessing. And the questions on live TV, uh, you have to do those interviews on live TV on SNY twice a day. And it's not easy to do when the questions come at you and you're being second-guessed. Uh, and you have to defend your decision, some of which didn't come from you. It came from the analytics department or, for, or from Brody. And it remains to be seen whether or not Beltran can handle that heat. It's not an easy part of the job. It's one of the elements I thought that cost Callaway his position. He just was not good under pressure on live television with his cameras in his face. Boone has handled it well. He's made that transition almost seamlessly. It remains to be seen whether Beltran can do the same. Because the things that Beltran's being touted for, like going through the video, uh, pitch tipping, kind of going through the mental aspect of the game with these players, you just made the point. That was where I was going next. That's not the job 100%. He's going to have his pre and post game. He's going to have the banter in the dugout with the reporters. You know this. You guys waiting for him. Uh, the one-on-ones. Uh, the WFAN once a week if he does that. Then he's got to have his meetings. This is going to be a lot more than him popping in as an advisor and sitting down with a player and saying, hey, take a look at this, or as a role uh, on a, a veteran on a team. And uh, as you know, covering a team day in and day out, if he's going to give the player glib uh, canned answers that so- sometimes becomes part of what a veteran or an all-star level player that he, he was would do, that's going to get old real quick. You get maybe the press conference and early spring training on that, the writers are going to get tired of that. The, the media and uh, the fans are going to get tired of that after a losing streak. That's the part where the analytics department, the owner, the GM, they can't save him on that. And I'm assuming that was part of the interview, considering it lasted a month. So 
it'd be interesting. I think that's going to be the biggest difference right now of how successful he can be. And like you said, I guess Aaron Boone, you've been up close, has done a really good job there. Yeah, ben, well, for, remember also that Boone grew up in a family of, of baseball stars. Of, you know, of, he, he understood the baseball culture before he ever put on a uniform. So he had a head start that I'm not a hundred percent surprised that he's been so successful and, you know, his work at ESPN allowed him to be an analyst and, and see things from, from 30,000 feet from the macro view. And he's handled the part the interviews just right. I mean, he's personable and he's polite and he's insightful without being critical of his players. And he's close to the press, but not too close. I mean, he doesn't have on the off the record relationships with reporters, which is probably a good thing if I'm speaking objectively. Carlos has to figure out the ground rules for himself. How much is he going to say in these interviews? How honest will, will he be in these interviews? Uh, because they're relentless. I mean, they're very, very draining. Every single day, you know, pre- and post-game, you're giving up of your inner thoughts and your opinions and you're speaking from the heart. You just have to decide how much of that you want to give to the public. Did you think, because I understand they had a rocky relationship towards the end with the Walter Reed and the surgery, and Fred Wilpon's comments, I get that. But to me, when that was brought up as what would get in the way, I feel like that was a lifetime ago for Beltron. It's a lifetime ago for the Wilpons. Yeah, you know, old habits die hard. He obviously knows, and I think it's a, actually a good thing what he's getting into here, being the Mets, being in this city, uh, being in the shadow of the Yankees, the fan base, all the nonsense and the garbage we've been talking about. I, I felt it was a little overrated to worry about that, but you tell me, what do you think? Because to me, it's got to be water under the bridge. He took the job, but it's going to come up uh, on, on the press, during the press conference, and it may come up early on in his tenure. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, Carlos has to answer to that. He has to answer to his history of this team. Uh, and I'd be very curious to see on Monday or tomorrow really how he phrases his responses, you know, what his position is about his prior friction with Jeff, because Jeff is, you know, and I'm, I'm speaking to the obvious here. He is not an easy owner to work for. He certainly becomes a monster after the first losing streak. Jeff is very, very, very attuned to public opinion and how the media portrays his team, which I think played a big role in Carlos getting hired because he knew that it would be well received, but Jeff can turn on you in, in a matter of days. And I've had people who work for him say he is just, there's, there's, there's two Jeff Wilpons. It literally is that he has a dual personality. And once you get go south, once he goes south on you, your life becomes miserable. And that means not just for the manager, but for the general manager too. So I really am curious how Carlos intends to handle Jeff and what his opinion of the job will be. Let's say, you know, the second week in May, if the Mets are five games under 500 and suddenly that honeymoon is over, then I want to know how Carlos feels about this position. Yeah, no doubt. And I'll tell you what, uh, knowing how public, you know, the rabbit ears with the public they have, that would make you think that Girardi would be the shoe-in candidate. Uh, do you feel this is an indication that maybe Brody, at least now, uh, has some autonomy here? Mets haven't got this manager thing right. Bob, think back to when you covered the team as a beat writer. Davey was really the last manager. I know Terry Collins lasts a long time, but that went from caretaker to the owner really saving his job many, many times. I don't, I don't think if they had, if Sandy Alderson held autonomy, Terry Collins would have been here for the 2015 okay. season. They, they got Torborg wrong. Uh, they got Dallas Green probably at the wrong time. They should have had him earlier. They kind of, you know, fell into Bobby Valentine. Then you got Willie and Art Howe and Jerry Manuel. They haven't gotten this right in a long time. And, and with Brody Van Wagen wants someone who's going to last a long time, this might be the first guy, similar to how Davey Johnson, former player, came in, 
you know, that may have that ability, you know, depending on uh, obviously uh, how this dynamic works out. Well, don't forget that Davey was also a very successful manager in the Mets, at the Mets in the Mets minor league system. He was their triple A manager before coming to New York. Carlos has got none of that. I mean, he's really coming in cold. So it's a huge, huge gamble in that respect, which is why his bench coach will be so important to him. But I will say also that Carlos, the last year that Carlos spent working with the Yankees as a special advisor, learning how the game runs now from the analytics side, from the executive side, was very beneficial to him. So I think he'll be a little more understanding about about the flow of information coming towards him and, and the, the balance of power having shifted toward the executive side. I think he now sees how it works, and Cashman basically took him in as an intern and made him a lot smarter. It really raised his basic, his baseball IQ from the corporate side. I think that would be very valuable to him. Davey never had to have that kind of education because the game was not run that way back in the 80s. So I think Carlos does have a bit of a head start in that regard. And, you know, all of it makes for a very, very interesting calculus. We'll see how it plays out. Covered the 2018 season in, uh, inside the Empire. You, you went back to how the Yankees reinvented themselves, rebuilt themselves. What can you think the Mets can expect with this Beltron situation? I understand they just went through Callaway, but to me, this Beltron-Brody setup is a lot more similar to what you probably saw with the Yankees with Cashman and Sandy Alderson, Mickey Callaway, and then the changeover to Brody. Uh, what do you think is in store for Beltron right now? And if you had any crystal ball predictions, how do you think? I mean, I know it's hard to say, but how do you think this is going to work out? Uh, it will not be easy for Beltran. I mean, everybody likes a guy. There's certainly no problem with his personality and his his demeanor on camera and his his ability to express himself. And he's just, I just sense he's going to be much better at it uh, from from the outset than Callaway was. So I think fans who are looking to make first impressions of him uh, will be impressed. Will be will 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 respond favorably to him after having been used to Callaway for a couple of years. So I think initially he'll he'll get off to a good start, but you know just the way that Boone was expected to keep the momentum in the Yankee franchise going, I mean it's a heck of a lot of pressure to put on a rookie manager uh, to replace somebody who almost got to the World Series. I mean that was that was a tough thing with Boone to do, and he handled it well. I think there's a similar mandate for Beltran. Look, the Mets window is very very short. I mean they've got to win very soon because that pitching staff once it leaves or once it moves on. Uh, there's not much else backing them up. They have the opportunity now. The window is now. And Beltran is going to be expected to, to develop that and move forward with it quickly. It's not like he's being brought in to cultivate a three- or five-year rebuilding plan. That's not what the World Punts do, and that's not the dynamic right now. You've got to win this year, and it's not easy because now you've got a very, very capable manager in Philadelphia, an excellent manager in Philadelphia, who I presume will turn things around. And now you've got the world champs in your division as well. So Carlos has got his hands full. Um, I wish him well. I like the guy. I think he'll get off to a good start. But let's not underestimate how difficult this job is going to be. Yeah, I mean, Bob, you've seen uh, how the front office manager dynamic has changed. Uh, it's not going back uh, unless somebody pioneers it back. Do you like it or you think that this is too much? Or being that you were on the inside a little bit with the Yankees, you see the value of how things go now, how, how the front office collaborates with their field staff? Well, I think it's this pendulum will swing back, you know, a little bit more towards what it used to be in the 80s and the early 90s. I mean, managers are really are a big part of that dynamic in how a clubhouse, the feel, the chemistry of it, the vibe. Uh, managers are so responsible now 
for maintaining a, a, a positive energy. And I think they do deserve a little more influence, a little more respect from the front office. They have to be seen as more than just pawns. And the good ones will find a way still to make that impression on the players. I, I just it's I, I just don't believe that the analytics departments will continue to run this game, you know, really without any constraints. At some point it's gonna come back to the way it used to be and you'll find managers again who are strong and dynamic and who are leaders and move the club forward in that way. So Inside the Empire is the uh, the book. Uh, obviously, you're at the New York Times. You did some real interesting pieces as the year went on, uh, Bleacher Report. Uh, anything else you got going on? Obviously, the uh, the GM meetings, offseason. What, what do you got in the hopper over the next few weeks uh, for the listeners well, I mean, to know it's, about? It, it's going to be a good good offseason. There's, there's certainly a lot to cover. I mean, uh, starting tomorrow, I mean, with Carlos's press conference, I mean, the Yankee dynamic and Mets and Yankees together are by themselves a 24-hour-a-day job between November and first day of pitchers and catchers. So that's what, I, that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be immersed in that. All right. Well, listen, uh, I know it's a few weeks away. Have a good holiday. Got Thanksgiving, uh, Christmas coming up. We'll keep an eye out on the, the latest at your various outlets. And uh, be well, and thank you again for spending a few minutes here, okay? Well, thanks for having me on, Mike. I really appreciate it. Anytime, Bob. Be well. That's uh, Bob Clappish of uh, at Bob Clapp on Twitter. Obviously, uh, New York Times bestseller book, Inside the Empire. Uh, New York Times uh, baseball writer, uh, uh, MLB national columnist, Bleacher Report. A lot of good stuff. Always enjoy catching up with Bob. And he really transcends. I mean, he's been covering the team in this city from so many different eras. Back to when he was a young uh, beat writer with the Mets back in the 80s, which seems like Again, a lifetime ago, we used that term with Carlos uh, Beltran uh, to hear now with the more modern front office and what have you. So anyway, good stuff from Bob. Always like to get the professional perspective. You got me. You heard from me. You heard from Bob Clappish. Now we're going to hear from you. I threw out the, as I said earlier, I threw out the mailbag. Uh, I got a ton of responses. So when we come back, we're going to hear from the fans. What do they think about Carlos Beltran and this hire and the press conference that happened earlier today? You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at mikesilva at... TalkingMetsPodcast.com, no G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon, and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Before we wrap up here, I wanted to take some of the mailbag that you guys spent time uh, sending over, and I want to thank you. Got some good reactions. I'm going to try to get to everybody, uh, but I do want to wrap up the show, and and the funny part is... uh, as I was making my notes, uh, really, you guys, you guys are sharp. I got to tell you because I hit on my notes. I hit a lot of the topics that you guys kind of brought out uh, in your questions throughout the weekend. And, and and again, if you ever want to email me, whether it be about this topic or about anything, and I I try to get back to everybody. I'm I'm never too busy, and I'm not big enough. I mean, I have a decent sized audience, but I'm never too busy to not say hi to somebody. And thank you, because I do appreciate the fact that you even spent 30 seconds of your time to send an email to 
get on the show or to get my thoughts is is humbling, and I really mean that. So thank you very much for everybody that's listening and those that spent some time to email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, MikeSilva, M-I-K-E-S-I-L-V-A at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. All right, uh, James Terry, uh, uh, what do you think his strengths, meaning Beltron, and weaknesses are as a first-time manager? Do you think he will lean heavily on his bench coach since, since he has no managing experience? Well, James, I spoke very quickly, and I'll do this quickly. I spoke about this earlier. I think you uh, the game planning is going to be important. I think his in-game and his bullpen management is going to need a lot of help early, and you're not going to be able to use spring training for that. you got to almost learn on the job, so the front office is going to be uh, integral in that. And... Um, his strengths are going to be the fact that he could connect with just about anybody on that roster because he's been that person. He's been that player. And uh, I think bringing that perspective and that fresh face, and none of those guys could turn around, even guys like Cespedes and Cano, and say, well, you know, you don't know what I'm all about because he's done it. He's experienced it. He's come back from injuries. So that cachet uh, is invaluable in my opinion, and I think that's one of the biggest things Carlos Beltran brings because he's done it. He can't. He's not saying it or theorizing about it. He's done it. So, Brian uh, Dobrovalski uh, and I apologize, Brian, if I uh, Brian Dob. I hope that's good enough. Dob Brovalski. I hope that hopefully I said it correctly. Love the show, Mike. Regular listener, and I want to thank you for that. Understanding your feelings to Terry Collins, do you think you would make a nice mentor and bench coach to Beltron? Terry might not know how to manage a pen, but he's a much more knowledgeable baseball guy than Riggleman. I uh, cannot disagree on that, Brian. I said that earlier. Uh, my issues with Terry, it really my anger shouldn't have been at Terry. It should have been about Fred Wilpon saving his job and being a little tone deaf about where the arc was in the Mets organization, where Terry cleaned things up in 11, 12, 13. And I think uh, after 14, or going into 14, I think, they should have uh, found their next hire. And I also think uh, Bud Black, who's done some nice things, would have been a nice hire too if they had moved a year earlier on firing Terry Collins. But uh, that's ancient history. Um, I agree. I think it's a little awkward bringing a guy that just managed. I'd like them to at least go out there and see who else is out there. But the fact that Terry understands this market and is tight with Beltron and he Beltron respects him, I think will bring um, a great value, and I have no problems if they decide to go that route, as clumsy and as odd as it may be to see Terry in the dugout as a bench coach. Uh, Matthew Miller, Mike, love the podcast, listens to everyone, and that's great, and I really appreciate that. Thank you, Matthew. I'm good with the hire. I feel like he has a good feel for the game, and the players will respect him and play hard for him. I think he will handle the media well. I also think players will want to come to the Mets and play for him. My only concern is Terry Collins. His input could destroy an already fragile bullpen and also impede the development of the young talent. Always felt like they won despite him when he was the manager. Thanks. Keep up the good work. Very fair points, Matthew. I do not, and I think your concerns, uh, and, and this is where Fred Wilpon really likes Terry Collins, and that's where you got to wonder, is this going to be like what Fred pushes on as his guy? I think this front office, and you saw it with the firing of Edgardo Alfonso in Brooklyn, uh, has at least shown that they're not going to allow history to dictate how they go about their business. So I would think if Terry Collins interviews and, and doesn't check off the boxes with the remember the term growth mindset. That's a big term. Again, read the MVP machine 
because this is a big part of these front offices. They want guys who, no matter what, where you are or what your arc is in the game, that you have the growth mindset to learn and implement those in a serious manner, not in a half-you-know-what uh, manner, but in a serious manager, uh, serious manner. Jeff Cohn, I thought that once Girardi went to Philadelphia, the next best option was Perez. However, since Beltran is now the manager, I will support him and wish him the best. Hopefully, he can take the Mets to the next level. A World Series would be the ultimate. Let's go Mets and Beltran. Jeff, that's a a, a great rah-rah, and uh, it would be an interesting arc for Beltran. Signing, being the crown jewel of that 05 uh, free agent foray, uh, failing with the Mets and being traded, and then coming back and almost uh, bringing the championship home, what he couldn't do in Game 7, 2006, doing as part of the management team. So really good stuff. Ryan Leach, Mike, I'm very displeased by the Beltron hire. I feel that Brody and Jeff Wilpon stung the fa- strung the fans along this in this process and dragged it out much longer than it should have. First, if we were going to hire a first-time Major League manager, why even bother letting Mickey go? Second, I understand Beltron may be older and wiser, but this is the same guy that when he was slumping, when he was a player, was cold towards the fans. Does he really think being in charge of the whole team will make it better? What's he going to do the first losing of 11 or 14 games? The team is under 500, and the media is eating up. Start speaking Spanish? Question mark. He may be the great player motivator, but does he know how to handle a pitching staff and a bullpen? Is Brody going to text them the answers as he goes? I like that one. Also, one last thing. Let's see how long it takes the Mets beat that applaud the Mets on this to turn and laugh at the fans because we hired the guy with no experience as a manager anywhere. At least other choices had some kind of managerial experience. Uh, Ryan, all fair thoughts. Here's what I'll say real quick, because there's a lot to unpack here. Um, as far as the length, it was long. They wanted to get it right. I think there's a certain level of appreciation that you can do that. I know that it was painful going through it for weeks, and there was no leaks. But uh, they have to do the process how they feel comfortable even though that may not be comfortable for the fans of the media. So I'm not going to criticize them on that. As far as Mickey, I talked about it earlier. I had heard that things were a lot worse between Mickey and Brody. And if you t- the inhale-exhale comment that you heard earlier about Brody kind of in, you know inhaling, a, huh, here we go, going to the manager's office, and you knew about the chair-throwing incident, Mickey and Brody were not seeing eye-to-eye. And I think Mickey, and, and again, MVP machine, read that book. Trevor Bauer was happy when Mickey left to go to the Mets because he felt Mickey was holding him back in some of his development. So maybe Mickey's not as progressive as he made himself out to be when he uh, took the job. Um, you know, as far as the speaking Spanish, I know that's going to uh, rile some people up. I know there's that Los Mets thing, and I hope that that doesn't become a, a thing. But look, you are certainly right. When they lose, and you heard what Bob Clappish said, if they go on a losing streak and Jeff Wilpon gets frustrated and the media starts to do, like you said, you know, the LOL Mets, which I think they'll give him some uh, benefit of the doubt, but they'll eat him alive. Uh, you know, the Phillies went away from Gabe Kapler, uh, and I don't think they wanted to 100% everybody in the organization, but I think part of that was because of the media and because, and I'm not in Philadelphia, so maybe I'm speaking ignorantly here, uh, they wanted to go with an experienced name. The Mets are going to stick with their, with their guns, and Brody's connected to Beltron. They have the same length of contract. I believe it expires at the same time, so... This is his boy. He's got to make it work. Both of these guys are making, you know, Beltran's got a lot of money. Brody was making a lot of money as an agent running CAA. Uh, they don't need this. They took this on. So it'll be very interesting uh, how that works. Daniel Chisnall. Hi, Mike. Love the mailbag podcast. Thank you, Ch- Daniel. Another question comment from Over the Pond. Uh, and hopefully things are going well over there. I believe you're out in London. 
Do you think that because of the high-profile mistakes that Mickey made because he was a first-time manager, Beltran will get a shorter lead with the fans and media? He won't be allowed to make uh, rookie errors without here-we-go-again narrative. Huge pressure, therefore, on Brody. The honeymoon period could be very short. Keep up the great work. Thank you, uh, Daniel. Uh, and I like how he said cheers at the end. Thank you very much, Daniel. That was very nice. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think that you succinctly said it right, and I think it's going to be a challenge for uh, Beltron to handle it. And um, I think the biggest thing that he's going to have to work on game planning is right there in front of everybody's faces to be questioned every night. And and that's uh, that's the the part that uh, you know maybe a, a challenge. Cynthia Wolf, hi Mike. I'm a new listener to your podcast. Well, welcome aboard, Cynthia, which I enjoy tremendously. You do an excellent job. Thank you again. Uh, my thoughts on Beltron. I like it from everything I have been reading and hearing. He's smart about baseball. He has a good reputation with talking to players and helping them. He has experience with analytics. I read that he really wants to help people and make a difference. That is correct, Cynthia. You, you are right. I know the job is not easy, but I don't mind that the Mets are giving him a chance. Mets fans should get over the strikeout he had in the last playoffs against the Cardinals. Fans seem to forget all the other great moments he had against the Cards. Check out SNY website for Beltron's top five memorable plays. But regardless, we know managing is a different animal. It is unfair to compare him to Callaway in the sense another newbie or rookie. Everyone brings a different experience, and Beltron's experience is a heck of a lot different than Callaway's. You are correct on that, Cynthia. I am rooting for Beltron. I also do think that if anyone can rejuvenate Edwin Diaz is Beltron. Let's go Mets. That's a great point, Cynthia, and he brought him up on Francesca's show and specifically talked about how he, he thought he was tipping, and that's a Beltron strength, picking up tipping and the transition from small market to large market. So that's very, very good email, uh, Cynthia. Thank you for uh, listening to the show. A couple more here before we wrap up. Uh, Alfonso Morales, uh, I'm okay with the hire, but I think Beltron Mets now need to bring in a solid pitching coach. Couldn't disagree there, Alfonso. For me, it's that uh, that's just as important, if not more so, with this staff, especially considering the issues in the bullpen last season. Mets need a good pitching coach that can help, m- help him manage his staff. I'm extremely interested in seeing who that turns out to be. Alfonso, uh, I wish I knew. It sounds like they're looking at some college guys. Fetter's name came up. Uh, I don't know much about these guys. The days of the big-name pitching coaches, the Islands, the Rick Petersons, uh, Ray Searage, uh, who uh, I was, again, going back to that book, MVP Machine, you know, it turns out the Pirates were a bit rigid in their uh, way of looking at pitchers, and that hurt uh, Jarrett Cole. So I'm at a loss of what they're looking for. Think growth mindset and collaboration. That's... Continue to think about that as you try to see who the Mets hire. Uh, last one, Phil Cortolo, and then we'll wrap up the show. Mike, I've been a big Beltron fan, and I feel he gets a raw deal from a lot of Mets fans who let one at-bat define an otherwise legendary career. Having him as a skipper gives him a chance to rewrite his own legacy, and Beltron, by the way, did say that today. In a, in a, in a, not so many words, but he did say that. By leading the Mets to the promised land. As for how he'll do, it's anybody's guess. I'm optimistic, though based on what many knowledgeable people around the game have said about him. Love the show, Mike. Keep up the great work. Well, Phil, listen, that's really nice. And uh, thank you very much for those kind words. And with that, I have to wrap up the mailbag. I've gone over the hour. And I know that you guys, uh, like I said, you say, a lot of people tell me, well, stick around, do it as long as you can. But I like to keep this to an hour so that you guys could enjoy it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this show. I had a ton of fun putting this one together. I'm glad we finally have uh, something to look forward to and move forward. I want to get away from some of the, the rut 
that maybe the uh, the uh, end of the season brings out. There's only so many times you could speculate and talk about why it should be, in my opinion, Joe Girardi, and there wasn't a lot of leaks. So I want to thank everybody. Uh, of course, uh, I want to thank Bob Clappish for joining me today. Check him out on Twitter, at Bob Clapp. Check out his book, Inside the Empire. I know it's a Yankee book, but I think it'll give you good context on the modern front office, so check that out. Uh, of course, go to Apple Podcasts, the best way to listen to the Talking Mets podcast. You could send me a note, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, or send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back podcast uh, on Sunday, another show coming up. Stay tuned for that as we look forward to the offseason and what's to come. Carlos Beltran's the manager, so now it's on to building the roster. Thanks a lot, everybody. Talk to you soon. Be well. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR.